Thank you, Gina. Kindergarten through third grade are dismissed for junior church. I hope you brought your Bibles with, and uh, as we've been reminded, it may be a Bible app. I don't care how it is, but I encourage you to turn to Colossians chapter 3. We'll get there uh, momentarily, uh, but we're going to start a few other places before we get there. But I just want you to be in that direction. I've entitled this Hope for the Hurting. We are looking at solutions that deal with those that are depressed. One of the things that I want to remind you is every scripture that we're going to look at today doesn't necessarily hone in on people who are depressed. It is for all Christians in all circumstances. But these scriptures that we're going to look at are very much going to point us in the direction of making some real choices. Because if you're going to overcome depression, it is going to start with the spiritual things in your life. The world deals with depression. Deals with it in a lot of different ways. We'll talk about some of them. For example, uh, somewhere along the line, it's not today, but I'll use the word psychotherapy and people will go, Pastor Paul talking about psychotherapy? What, has he lost his mind? If you know what psychotherapy is, it simply means talking about it. Truth of the matter is, I have been in my office and I have talked to people and I didn't do any counseling. All I did was open my ears, look at them in the eyeball and listen to them. And by the time they're done talking, they go, hey, you've been really helpful. I'm like, I didn't do anything. But you know what? God gave us two ears should tell us something about what we should do uh, with those two ears. And that's just listening to people. That's what psychotherapy, we're not talking about that today. Because the secular world around us looks at depression as basically an emotional issue, somewhat as a mental problem. And occasionally, at the very end, they'll say, oh, and by the way, uh, it wouldn't be a bad idea for you to talk to your pastor or your rabbi or your priest or one of those kinds of things. But it's kind of an afterthought. I disagree with that whole line of thinking. I believe it's totally backwards. We need to start not with a pastor or rabbi or priest. We need to start with what God says in his word. Now, when we counsel, and I've noticed this more and more over the years, when we counsel, whether you're counseling yourself by reading and looking and applying what we talk about, or trying to help someone else, that when we counsel, it's not quite the same as Bible teaching, even though it absolutely starts with that. But most counseling situations are not nice, neat little boxes that you can deal with. There are a whole lot of nuances. You go, I don't see anything directly about that in the Bible. And I would agree with you. But the principles of the truth are absolutely applicable to every circumstance. That's the way I look at it. And so with that as a little bit of a background, we're going to look at this spiritual place is the begin to start, start dealing with these kinds of things. And what I'm going to talk about, almost every sermon I've done about counseling, somebody says to me afterwards, but you didn't talk about this part of it. 
The answer is there is no way from in a sermon that I can deal with all of those, even if we had a class that lasted, like my classes last forever, uh, we still wouldn't deal with everything. But the point is, we're looking at principles. And today we're just going to get started, we're only going to look at one principle, and that principle is this, the one you see in front of you, you must choose not to live in an unhappy, depressed state. There is no doubt that if you're sitting here, you can within split second think of something that's got you down, something that is negative in your life, something that just is dragging you down. Well, guess what? Every principle we're going to look at is going to be based on a choice that you need to make. I tell people, if I'm counseling them, eventually you're going to, if you don't believe what I'm telling you and you don't put it into practice, you are going to hate the word choice. Because I know what the Bible says. God didn't force you to get saved. You had to choose to believe in Jesus Christ, to have your sins forgiven, and know that heaven is your home and you've got a life worth living. You had to choose that. He doesn't make us do the right thing. We must make a choice to do that. He never comes down and says, I'm going to just make your life right. He says, no, I provided everything. It is in Jesus Christ... But It's in the Word, but you have to choose to apply it to your life. That's the basis. And remember, the end result is not simply making a choice, but it is that I, if I'm applying it to myself or to someone else, that we are a stronger, more mature, more complete Christian. Otherwise, it's not Christian counseling. So with that as a background... I'd like to look at a number of passages this morning and look at those principles. We're simply not going to quote scripture. We're going to look at the principles. In Psalm 146, verse 5, it says, How blessed is he whose help is in the God of Jacob, whose hope is in the Lord his God. That whole concept of hope, as you may have heard me say before, has to do with an expectation or in anticipation of good based on what Jesus Christ has done. Now, in the Old Testament, it didn't say about Jesus Christ. It says, our hope is in the Lord. Obviously, that is still the same God we worship. But our hope, our expectation, everything that we anticipate is always on the basis of what Christ has done. I am not a good enough counselor to do that. You are not a good enough counselor. The person you're counseling with is not a good enough person for this to apply. We always keep our focus on what Jesus Christ has done. What God has done for us. Whether it's the Old Testament, or as we'll see in a moment, the New Testament. In John chapter 10, verse 10, it says, The thief cometh not but for to steal and to kill and destroy. I have come that you might have life and you might have it abundantly. Now, you all have life. I haven't seen anybody drop over, kind of slouch over and die in the seats here this morning yet. It may change before we're done. But you're alive. You have life. You have existence. But this verse says... That God didn't put us on this planet simply to exist and to breathe and eat and sleep and do all the things that people do. 
No, he said we have something more than that. That we have life abundantly. That's above existence. You see, if you trusted Jesus Christ as your Savior, He has given you eternal life. He has given you God's kind of life. And He expects you to live out that life. It doesn't come automatically. It doesn't come by nature. It is something I must choose to apply to my life. And so when he says, there's a thief that comes to steal, kill, and destroy, it's obviously talking about Satan and those who work on his behalf. Evil, fallen angels, demons. Yeah, there is really a spiritual warfare going on in this world. And you are the prize. God is saying, if you choose my way, there is blessing that comes with it. I'm on your side. I will bless you. I will speak on your behalf. On the other hand, if we're disobedient and we don't choose to do it God's way, there is the thief, the liar, the murderer. That's his nature. That's Satan's nature. Continue on in Roman, I mean, uh, John chapter 8, and you'll find out that's exactly what it says. He's a deceiver. He takes advantage of every opportunity to tear you down, to bring you to, into depression, just to devastate your life. You need to make a choice. You have a choice. You don't have a choice about your life. I mean, I guess you could commit suicide, and that would be a choice you made about that. But that's not what I'm talking about this morning, is I make a choice whether I'm just going to exist or I'm going to have God's kind of life operating in my life, in my lifetime. He makes it clear. I must choose the direction I go. God doesn't force me to do anything. I've said it many times. God requires us to make real choices that have real consequences. That applies to every area of life. But there's another verse that I use in conjunction with this verse when I counsel people. You also know that verse. It is in John chapter 8, verse 37. Now, there's a lot that goes with that verse. We're not going to look at the context so much this morning. But it's straightforward. But in all these things, we overwhelmingly conquer through him who loved us. I know I've said this before. Maybe you didn't hear it. But the word... For conquer here, or victory, is the word Nike in Greek. Just like the sneaker company. So I guess they're trying to tell you, you wear our sneakers, you're going to be a, a, a winner. Uh, hey, if I was going to have a sneaker company, not a bad... Or I guess they do everything, clothing and everything else now. But, but you know what? Having victory on there, not a bad in motivation. But you notice what it doesn't say here? It says victory, yes, but it says overwhelmingly conquer, overwhelmingly victorious. You didn't win the basketball game by one point and eke it out at the end. Or the football game by, you know, you got a one field goal and you got ahead at the very end. Or you, you won a tractor pull by a half an inch. No, it is you You crush the competition. That's what this is saying. It's not, oh, I can just have victory in my life. 
That wouldn't be bad, right? That would be good, being victorious in your life. But that's not what God promises. He promises that we can have way more than just eking by. Same kind of thing. Whether it's abundance or overwhelming victory, He promises that if we make the choice to put it into practice in our lives. And that's what He has promised. These things we overwhelmingly conquer through Him. Not through somebody that's a good counselor. Not bad thing to be. But that's not where it is. Notice the focus is always on what Jesus Christ has done. I've asked you to turn to Colossians chapter 3. And that's where I'm going to go right uh, this moment. I'm going to read it through and then go back and look at it. I don't normally do that, but I'm going to this morning. Because I believe we need to see this, and we're going to look at one other passage in the same way uh, after this. Colossians chapter 3, beginning at verse 1. If then you have been raised up with Christ, keep seeking the things above where Christ is, seated at the right hand of God. Set your mind on the things above, not on the things that are on earth. For you have died, and your life is hidden with Christ in God. When Christ, who is our life, is revealed, then you also will be revealed with him in glory. Now let's go back and look at that uh, just a little bit. He starts with the word if. If you have been raised up with Christ. If you've trusted Jesus Christ as your Savior, you know your sins are forgiven. You have been raised up with Christ. You have been made right with Him. You've been raised up from that death that you deserved. You made a choice. You're no longer living in sin, but you're trusting the Savior who forgives sin. He said, now notice the choice part. Keep seeking. That's not the automatic. That keep seeking things above. Where Christ is. So what do I do as a, a Christian? I look to where Christ is. He is now victorious. We sang about that earlier. He conquered death. He conquered the grave. He conquered sin. He is not on a cross. He's off the cross. It's a finished work. He's not in a tomb. He rose dead. And where is he? Ruling and reigning in his rightful position in heaven. Think about that. The victory is already won. Verse 2. Set your mind on things above. You need to make a choice. I can look at my circumstances... And I'll tell you, you don't have to look very far to get depressed today. You can look outside and say, it's raining. I don't like dreary days. You could have come in here and had a spat with your spouse. Or one of your kids was misbehaving. Or there's a bill that's not paid yet. And it should have been paid two days ago. Whatever it is, it doesn't take much to get dragged down. I'm not going to say those things aren't real. They are real things. It is dreary outside. 
Bad things happen in our life. But I make the choice, am I going to look at the circumstance and stay looking at the circumstance? Or am I going to live in such a way that I seek what is above? What is above? There is a Christ who's ultimately victorious, who is seated, and the King of the universe, our Savior, interceding on our behalf, pleading for us, working on our behalf. Keep looking at things above. Does it change your circumstances here? Not necessarily. But what it does absolutely do is changes how you see them. That's huge. And he goes on to say, For you have died, and your life is hidden with Christ in God. Died means you're separated. Those things no longer are the controlling factor. The controlling factor is what you focus on. And that is on Jesus Christ. I will never stand up here and say, if you're living for the Lord, life will be easy. In fact, I will tell you that if you live for the Lord, it's probably going to be hard. I'll tell you that. Because it's real. Truth. You're in a battle. And then it says, Christ, who is our life. Notice, we don't try to get life. He is our life. If you've trusted him, he's our life. And then you'll be revealed with him in glory. Wow. I look not only at my circumstances, but I look ahead because I know what the truth is. But I'm not going to stop there this morning. I'd like you to turn to one more passage. Hebrews chapter 12. The first couple of verses in Hebrews chapter 12 is where I'd like to focus on for the, the remainder of our sermon today. Is, it is a similar viewpoint. From Scripture. It's going to tell us essentially the same thing in another context. The context here is Hebrews chapter 11. Many people call it the hall of faith. And in there, it talks about people who were obedient and trusted God. And they were mighty in battle and they were victorious. And they had this huge impact on the world around them. It also tells us of people who were obedient to Christ... And were fed to wild animals. And were sawn in half. And really were martyred for their faith. Then it says this. Therefore, we have so great a cloud of witnesses surrounding us. Let us also lay aside every encumbrance. And the sin which so easily entangles us. And let us run with endurance the race that is set before us. Fixing our eyes on Jesus, the author and perfecter of faith, who for the joy set before him endured the cross, despising the shame, and has sat down at the right hand of the throne of God. Notice the parallel there. He said, yeah, some people paid the ultimate price for being obedient. Some really were world-renowned because of they were obedient. But he said, that's a cloud of witnesses. Examples to us. Go forward. It didn't necessarily change the persecution they received. But it did change how they lived their lives. That is true of depression. That is true of any area of your life. Even if you know that you're here this morning and, and your Christian life is lackadaisical. 
The only way that's going to change is you need to make a choice. You need to make a choice to put the Lord first. Get the focus right. In fact, this verse 2 is the one I like to focus on because it says, focusing our eyes on Jesus Christ, the author and finisher or completer of our faith. In Lancaster County and Ohio and other places where the Amish still use buggies, if you've ever noticed, all their horses, and they're very good horses, they are not cheap horses, they all have blinders. Blinders is a technical term for horses. It doesn't mean they blind the animal and the animal cannot see. What it means is this. If you look, if you've never looked at this, look at it next time you're down there. The blinders are like this. The horse can see everything they need to see out front. In fact, the reason they put the blinders on is that so sudden movements or something from the side does not distract and disrupt the horse. It could be very dangerous to everyone involved. But the horse can see exactly where they're going. I've actually seen this already where, where something happened at, uh, at the side. The horse will literally take their whole head and try to turn sideways to some extent. Well, guess what? I don't want you walking through life with blinders on. I'm, I don't believe I've ever taught that. I know the Bible doesn't teach that. The world is a, a horrible place at times. It's an ugly place to live. It's, it's just difficult. And there are things that can get us down. Things that can tear us apart. I have no doubt about that. All I know is those are not the controlling factor. Not according to scripture. Not according to what God has told us. The controlling factor is one who has conquered death, the grave, and sin. He is seated up here. I need to keep my eyes focused on him. And I need to keep him focused on what he wants me to do. You say, does that cure all depression? The answer is no. I have about, this is about one-tenth of the sermon I had for this morning. Because I have five more points just in this first point that we're not going to talk about. But here's where you start. If you don't start with this one, all the rest of them go down the drain. Because I need to recognize where my source of power is. I need to recognize my sufficiency. And it's not me, and it's not you, and it's not somebody else. It's not the counselor. It's not even the person. It's Christ. He alone is the victor. He alone gives abundant life and overwhelming victory. Now, there are a lot of other things. We'll talk about physical things. We'll talk about all kinds of things before this is done. But I need to get my focus straight. And the only way I can give my, keep my focus straight is I need to choose to set my mind on things above. I need to choose to look to Jesus Christ. If I don't, you can be in big trouble really, really, really quick. And you can stay in that until you make the choice to choose to say... This isn't who I am. This isn't who my Savior made me. This is not what He has designed me to be. He has designed me to be one who is victorious in spite of the hard things. That's what He's designed me to be. And that's what He wants me to be. I encourage you, not blinders this way, but keeping our focus. Let's all stand together as we pray.
Father, what a great God you are. You never promised life would be easy. You never promised we'd have everything we want or nothing would go wrong in our lives. But you promised that you wouldn't leave us nor forsake us. You would not, you would always give us what we need to take the next, the next step. To keep us from being distracted and overwhelmed by the things that happened around us. Lord, I pray that we as individuals would live that way. We would make the choice to put you first. To keep our focus on you. And then Lord, as we have opportunity, we would reach out to others and point them to Jesus Christ. Lord, thank you so much. In Jesus' name, amen. God bless. Go with God.